your farm and your future matter to us. Welcome to Dairy Stream, a podcast focusing on opportunities and challenges impacting the future of dairy. This podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations fighting for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Joanna Guza. Risk, volatility, unprecedented. Have you heard those terms a lot lately? It can be intimidating navigating risk management and understanding what is right for your business. In this episode, we are starting with the basics and focused on hedging. Our guest today is Mike North. He spent nearly 30 years working with both producers and processors or the end users of agricultural commodities to address and manage their exposure to commodity price risk. Mike applies a comprehensive approach to identifying points of risk and developing an appropriate risk management plan. Mike is currently the president of the producer division at EverAg. In this first part, we will cover the basics of what is hedging, who's involved, common terms, and why businesses hedge. Well, Mike, if we could start our conversation with a general overview of what is hedging. Well, put very simply, Joanna, it is risk transfer. And if you want to get textbook, it's taking a position in a financial instrument or in a financial market to offset risk that we perceive or know to exist in our physical business. So we are trying to avoid something that is either inevitable or perceived possible by taking action elsewhere. It's very akin to buying insurance. We pay a premium so that we can ultimately have coverage against the thing we don't want to have happen. Really, hedging is no different. We're being proactive about risks that we see in our business and then taking action against it using the tools that are available in the marketplace. And has hedging always been the same from the past till now? The concept has been the same, but we've been introduced to a lot of new tools along the way. And so if we journey backwards to when this all began, it started with the Chicago Board of Trade, which began in 1848 and ultimately introduced the futures contracts for the very first time um, on a couple of different uh, grain crops. And ultimately, it was introduced because buyers were having a hard time securing a market beyond harvest all the way through until the next harvest. And sellers likewise wanted a way to avoid having to sell everything at harvest. And so it helped open some doors. You know, that was really the first risk. It was an inventory risk. It was a, a, a harvest risk. Well, we have more risks now. And as we look around, we have all sorts of different geopolitical pressures and all things that come into our markets at different times. And so we're constantly being bombarded with this concept. And so from a lot of different angles, we've been given these new products. Um, the insurance companies that uh, essentially are recognized by the USDA through the risk management agency, the RMA, uh, the very providers of crop insurance 
have brought into the dairy marketplace a couple of different tools that we can use to manage risk using insurance. Those specifically are livestock gross margin for dairy, which was the first on the scene. And now more recently, as of 2018, dairy revenue protection or otherwise known as DRP. And so we have some tools available there. We also have forward contracts, which the physical buyers and sellers of of uh, product have introduced over time because they now have the capacity to lay their risk that they assume when they offer those products back onto the exchange using the tools that originally were offered by Chicago Board of Trade and now, you know, under the umbrella of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And then we also have other products that have grown from there that are more derivative in nature, but have grown out of futures and options. And those are called over-the-counter products. I think we're going to probably avoid much discussion of those in this conversation because they're a very complex tool, but just know that they have their existence derived out of the futures and options products that are available at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So long way of saying, no, it's not the same because as we add new tools, we have added the ability to dovetail all of these products together to come up with solutions that ultimately play with each other across different spaces. And Mike, I know we could stay on this question for a while, but as I heard you answer it, another question popped up in my mind. I don't know if you can speak to just the importance of farmers kind of keeping an eye on the farm bill and that it's important for us to know because that's where some of that insurance is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So basically what we argue about in the farm bill is the amount of dollars that are put forward as a subsidy to the overall premium of these insurance products. And if you look at the likes of DRP or LGM, a portion of the premium is paid for by the government. And the premise behind that is that the whole process of managing risk becomes a partnership between the government and the farm so that we can maintain the viability of the farm while simultaneously providing access to food in America. And so it's this partnership to create food security and farm sustainability simultaneously. Let's now talk about who can hedge. Honestly, anyone that has risk, by definition, can hedge. And so it spans the entire supply chain. And, you know, that would mean that the dairy processor who has risk in the, you know, the crush from what it costs to buy milk, to convert and make a product, they can manage risk at the exchange or, you know, use over-the-counter products or forward or, you know, some other type of contractual agreement. They can manage risk just as much as anybody that's, you know, further upstream at the farm. So, you know, if I talk about it in the context of, you know, managing risk on the farm, basically all farmers can manage risk across any market where there's products and available outlets to do so. So livestock producers, the dairy producer, the grain producer, wherever there's a contract offered either at the exchange or there's an insurance policy offered that matches up with what it is they're producing, they can manage risk. 
And I want to be careful as I talk about insurance products. When I talk about insurance products as a way of managing risk, we're not talking about property and casualty type of insurances, whereby if there's a fire and, you know, something causes damage to the crop or, you know, to the cattle, that there's a physical loss. No, we're talking about an actual insurance product that's used to manage the revenue of that particular product. Because when we talk about hedging, it's always about the financial elements, not so much about the physical assets themselves. So as we go down that path, any producer, large or small, has access to hedging products that will match with their particular situation against what I'll call all mainline crops, all mainline livestock and dairy production. When you start moving into specialty areas, it starts getting a little bit uh, difficult to do that. But any mainline agricultural production today is pretty much covered by insurance and products at the Chicago uh, Mercantile Exchange, both futures and options, as well as often forward contracts and then uh, to that extent, also those OTC products that we mentioned earlier. So you mentioned producers, processors. What about brands and the grocery stores? Are they involved in this at all? To the extent that they have commodity risk, yes. But a lot of uh, retailers and those that are at the farthest end of the supply chain often are dealing in processed products that have been differentiated away from being a true commodity. So I might sell Wheaties, but that's not to say I have direct risk on wheat. That would be a step back to the actual manufacturer of the cereal. You know, the reality for us is that you have to have direct commodity exposure to really benefit from these particular tools. All right. Now let's talk about the people involved in the hedging process. And let's start with that farmer perspective. I'm a dairy farmer that wants to start hedging. Who are some of the people that I'll be working with in that process? So let's break it down into, you know, the three different categories I mentioned earlier. If I'm going to be talking about, um, futures and options as it is offered from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the person I'm going to interact with is a licensed commodity broker. And in order for them to engage in that conversation, the broker has to have a series three license. And there's a bunch of these people in the space uh, that make services available. But in that space, you're going to always talk with a broker. The moment I cross over into insurance, I need to talk with someone who's not only a licensed crop insurance agent with a recognized agency, but that individual has to have special qualifications. They have to pass a certain exam offered by the insurance company to be able to sell the products of LGM and DRP. And then if I want to talk about forward contracts, I'm going to be actually interacting with the people whom I'm engaging to either buy things physically or sell things physically. So for the dairy farmer, I could sell my milk to the dairy co-op or to the processor if they offer a forward contracting program. And many of them do. Not all, but many of them do. So I'd be talking either with someone internal uh, to their organization, that milk buyer, 
or a representative of that organization. As a company, we actually manage a lot of the forward programs for a lot of the milk processors and co-ops around the country. So quite often it's our company, but it can be people internal to the company itself, you know, whatever that co-op and processor would be. And you can look at this from the other side too. It's not just an outlet for selling your milk that you can use for contracts, but you can use it on your feed as well. Or if let's say you grow soybeans as part of your rotation and you might have some extra soybeans to sell in the fall, you could forward contract with a grain buyer to sell your soybeans to the grain buyer. You can do it with a feed mill to contract feed, but those forward contracts go both ways and you'd be interacting with whoever the agents of those companies would be as you're buying or selling. And we'll get into some more specific examples with Mike in the second part. But when this question, Mike, one item I saw you really emphasizing twice was making sure it's a licensed or a registered commodity broker or, you know, who you're working with. Is that a problem that there are a lot of businesses out there that aren't licensed and that farmers should be mindful of who they're working with? You would have to use a licensed individual to execute. But what often does happen, and I see this routinely, is there will be people that solicit the insight of someone on markets or, you know, the use of these tools who isn't licensed and maybe just counts themselves as well-informed. But the mistake there is that if you're not intimately engaged in those particular areas, it's very difficult to be perfectly informed or to, you know, absolutely be able to answer the questions. And in fact, there's regulatory bodies that exist inside of each of these different hedging venues that oversee the actions of all of these licensed individuals. So you want to know that you're dealing with somebody that A, knows what they're doing and knows what they're talking about, and B, can actually execute on that rather than just soliciting the advice from somebody that casually understands how these things work. Right. A couple more questions as we wrap up this first part of Dairy Stream. Well, Mike, you've kind of already alluded to this already, but I'd like to have just a clear answer of you saying, why do people hedge? Because they don't want to suffer from surprises. And the the reality of hedging is that you start to create predictability in your future. You start to absolutely manage profitability and margins and some of those external risks that you know are present, but you just don't know when they're going to show up. And so when you transfer risk through the process of hedging, you ultimately create predictability in your overall business. Would you say the popularity of hedging has increased? I would say the popularity along with the need. Uh, You know, as we talk about, you know, hedging, I would say for most producers, it's maybe the least fun activity they engage in. But as we've gone through the last 30 years that I've been in the business, what we've seen over time is this continual erosion or compression of margins on the farm. And as that has continued to happen, volatility can turn what looked like a good year into a bad year. And there's really no room for those type of surprises if we're intending to stay in the space long term. So not just the popularity, the need. Last question for you. What are some common terms used in hedging? 
if we look at the insurance space, one of them that we have to work with uh, regularly in, in our company is the difference between a policy and an endorsement. Uh, a, a policy is the paperwork that you fill out so that you're recognized by the company as a client. The endorsement is the actual engagement uh, through the policy with the offering that's made available on any given day in which uh, coverage is brought forward. So I can you know, fill out all the paperwork and have a policy, but if I actually wanna manage risk, I'm gonna have to engage my agent to actually write an endorsement, which is going to have all the details of how many pounds I'm covering for what quarter of the calendar year, at what level of coverage, and what class of milk and all of these things that'll all be contained in the endorsement. So that's one that we commonly uh, come uh, into as, as we talk insurance. As we cross over into the brokerage side, there's a handful of them and they're basic and fundamental to the whole of the hedging discussion. One of them is the long versus short dynamic. If I say that I'm long, that means that I ultimately have something that I need to sell on the physical side, but on the financial side, it means that I've taken a position whereby my first action was a buy. I bought first, so now I'm long. And conversely, on the short side of the conversation, when I talk about physicals, that means that I need to buy, I don't have it. But when we talk about futures and options, if I go short, that means that my first action in the marketplace was to sell. So when we talk about futures and options, if I'm long, my first action was to buy. If I'm short, my first action was to sell. Another one that's very common is margin. What is margin? And margin is, I like to make things simple, so forgive me, but margin is much like a security deposit in many respects, whereby if I'm coming into a position, the exchange may assess a margin on that position to make sure that as I'm going through the process of holding it, that I'm going to make good on the financial outcome of that particular contract. Because whenever I buy or sell futures, I'm instantly making or losing penny for penny with whatever happens thereafter. If I'm selling options, I am becoming the, the guarantor, if you will, of the performance of that particular option. The exchange wants to make sure that both parties are made whole. And so they'll put this margin on a contract and it's like a security deposit. I put it up when I get into the contract, I get it out when I take the contract off and the amount is subject to change in accordance with um, a few dynamics of the marketplace. But ultimately it's money that I have to put up uh, as I enter into a position and money that I need to maintain as the market moves for or against that position. Mike North has been our guest, and next we will cover time frame, examples, and the future of hedging. But first, let's hear from our Dairy Stream sponsor. Compere Financial is a member-owned farm credit cooperative serving and supporting agriculture and rural America. 
Our dairy team brings world-class expertise and tailored solutions to support dairy producers' financial goals and lending needs. To learn more, visit compeer.com dairy or contact us at 844-426-6733. Trademarks of Compeer Financial and Equal Credit Opportunity Lender. The Dairy Stream Podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. In this part, we are going to talk about time frame, examples, and the future of hedging. Mike, what are some outside factors that impact hedging? One of them has become a much bigger conversation over the course of this last year, and that is uh, interest rates. If I'm going to engage in managing risk, Oftentimes, I may want to have a separate credit line set up to help along with that process. You know, we talked about margin in the last part, and sometimes it's best to have that managed in a separate credit line. And if I'm going down that path, I'm going to have to ultimately pay the interest on the money that I'm using to engage in this process of hedging. And so uh, interest rates certainly uh, are part of that discussion and certainly an external factor. But I would also say that time is another external factor because we might all have acknowledgement of risk in our business, but to engage it requires time. And one of the biggest hurdles we have to overcome with our clients is finding the time to have the conversation because the market waits for no one. It's open almost around the clock, five to six days a week, and it moves in accordance with all the things that influence price, not in accordance with the convenience of your schedule. And so, you know, time is, is, is another one. And, and I would say perhaps the biggest holdback for many people is what I'll call knowledge or aptitude. And I think it's definitely a process that should be engaged on every operation. To me, uh, risk management is just as important as breeding a cow or planting seed. To me, it's, it's fundamental to the business. You can't avoid risk management if you want to be in this game long term. And so just as much as we spend time going through seed books, picking out the best seed for our field for this particular year, just as much as we go to the, go through the process of sire selection, pick any process on the farm. We have to educate ourselves on how these things work in order to fully engage in them and do them well. And I would say education is certainly one of those factors that impacts hedging and how we as a broker or an insurance agent, engage that client and what strategies then are appropriate given their level of understanding. Mike, one thing I thought you were going to say is current events being an outside factor, whether that was the recent pandemic, the Russian Ukraine. Can you speak to some of those like current events that we have no control over or even like a political statement? And that makes the market go crazy. Those being outside factors as well. You know, I'm glad you brought this up because to me, my response to a market in terms of managing risk should never be a reflection of those things. My process of managing risk should have already factored in the possibility of those types of things. And so I don't want to ever react 
in terms of managing risk around those things that you mentioned, but you also are afforded different opportunities that show up in those types of, of events. And that's when you should react. And that's when those factors should effectively uh, impact your hedging. And so, you know, as different things come in that are a bit more extreme than others, it may cause you to make adjustments to the risk management efforts you've already deployed, or it may cause you to come in opportunistically to put in new positions to lay up against that. So uh, yes, I was thinking of it in terms of more asset uh, resources and things like that, but you're absolutely right. Events and you know other influences you know, ultimately can change our behavior. But in fairness, if we are really assessing risk appropriately and we're planning for the unplannable, then, you know, reality is, is we already precede those events with action uh, along these lines. Is there an ideal time frame to hedge? Well, there is certainly something that we refer to as seasonality. And, and I'll present a couple of these things to you. Um, as you look at any given calendar year, it's very common that as we come into this first quarter and second quarter, you know, having just come off of the prior year's fourth quarter and going into what we call the spring flush of milk production, it's quite common we set our lows in the marketplace. Along that same line, after we've gone through spring flush and we've seen some heat and the potential impacts on cows in terms of raw volume or component levels, and as we see retailers and processors gearing up for the big Q4 demand season, it's very common that leaving that low period in the spring, we start to see prices climb through the summer and into early fall. And very often in September and October, the market, and even early November, they're not always perfectly the same, will often see our peaks in milk, pr milk price. So seasonality certainly should be considered as we're you know, looking at how we manage price risk. Now, conversely, if I look at grain markets and I'm trying to manage the price of my feed costs, grain markets often peak as we come into that March, April, May period. And then if we get a big weather event, a drought, you know, some sort of event that impacts pollination of corn or pod setting on soybeans, then we can also see a nice big summer run and often referred to as the summer rally. But then as we move towards harvest and we've, you know, gathered as much information as we can about that crop and gotten comfortable with its yield and volume, uh, ultimately those prices often slide lower into harvest. And so there's almost a perfectly opposite seasonality in grains as there is in milk. And so, yes, seasonality should be a part of the consideration process when we manage price risk. But I would always say that, you know, it really should be driven by what the outlook is inside of the operation. If I know that my cost of production uh, on milk is, let's pretend, $15, and I see the milk price rallying up in April to 23, I'm not going to worry about seasonality. I'm going to say, I have a 50% ROI right now. What am I doing about that? 
And I don't even care then if it's April or December. I, I, I could care less. At that point, I'm making the decisions about my profitability and not really worrying about what the calendar has to say. And so, yes, there's seasonality, but bigger picture, it should be a process of evaluating both the expense and the revenue side of the business and saying, okay, how do these come together and how should I act accordingly? Can you share some examples of hedging, some experiences you've worked with, and maybe a, a more positive one? And, you know, you kind of made the comment when we've had some of these big, big events that there was some opportunity there. And maybe sometimes when people hedged and there were some challenges. Yeah, I'll just use a, a recent example. So at this moment, you know, if we want to timestamp this episode, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, the middle of January. We have January milk prices on class three that are very close to $15. Rewind the clock, go back to last fall, and we saw this time of the year pricing at $18. And so, you know, as, as we were going through the fall, we were looking at Q1, Q2, and having discussions with our clients. And basically, as much as $18 wasn't super attractive because cost of production was really elevated as we came into last, you know, silage season, as we, you know, looked at some of the, you know, other things that we had booked or bought forward from a feed perspective, it was really difficult to get really wildly excited about $18. However, at that time, we were afforded the opportunity to buy uh, coverage using DRP, the insurance product I referenced earlier, to buy floors that were in the 16s and 17s. And so, you know, we were able to put those floors and let's just use $17 as a number. And now that we're walking into January, we're already done basically pricing January milk. That'll be somewhere in the low $15 range. We're at the moment already beginning the pricing process on February milk, which is in the low 16s as of now. If we go through the next month of March and this first quarter comes back with an average of let's pretend uh, $16, then that $17 floor is going to pay us $1 a hundredweight across all of the milk that we had covered, minus the cost of the insurance. And much of what was afforded to us then cost about 35 cents. So now I have a 65 cent net gain to the farm. And you know, as it is, that's if I covered things one-to-one. -one. What's beautiful about DRP is that it has a multiplier in there of up to 1.5, so in effect, if, if I had uh, chosen that, which we generally always recommend, then that 65 cents became a dollar and my 35 cents, ultimately you could count as 50 as you run that multiplier against it. So it's you know all in how you use it, but reality is, is that I was afforded an opportunity to make 65 cents last fall on all of my production. And again, we're kind of pretending on how the outcomes are here for February and March, but very current, that was that was something that was afforded to us. Right. Do you have an, a quick example of maybe a challenge that can come with hedging when, because it all is like you're trying to predict and sure. that it might yeah. not work out. 
Yeah, you know, and I, I'll use the same tool, but we'll go back in time, and I'll even use the COVID uh, example you alluded to earlier. We came through the second quarter of 2020, and we had some beautiful protection in place uh, in 2020 as we were going through COVID. And if you recall, the price of milk dropped down to 12, even below $12 uh, as we came into that April, May period. And then uh, the market swung sharply higher as the food box program was introduced and all the buying of cheese began. And so what started to happen was we had this really massive indemnity that was being created in D DRP that would have been available to the producer. And then as we came through June with that sharp upswing in price, the end result of the June milk price was such that it essentially, by way of the averaging process, wiped away a big chunk of the uh, indemnity that would have been available if milk prices stayed low. The pain point for producers is they still had to endure a very low milk check for the month of April and the month of May. And then when we got to June, they still got the higher milk check. But reality is, is the indemnity had shrunk and wasn't available to go back and offset the deep losses in April and May. Now, this brings up what you were asking about before as it related to things like COVID. And this is where, as a company, we really focus on bringing all of these tools together. Because as we came through that environment and we started to see things begin to turn, we actually stepped back into the marketplace and began buying call options. And that call option appreciated in value as the market was rising. So now as we were losing the potential indemnity in the insurance, we were able to use the market then as a means to defend that indemnity from erosion and take a gain on the call option to lay alongside of what ended up being still an indemnity but a smaller than what was previously shown indemnity in the months of say April and May. So this is where these tools actually come together and how they complement each other and, and why we don't preach any one tool, but rather a holistic view of managing risk because things do change. And so as we go through different environments, using the whole basket and, and bringing together all the tools is the best way to fully manage the risk. Thank you for laying that out. Two more questions for you, Mike. What recommendations do you have for someone to get started? First of all, start with somebody you trust. You know, that is very, very important because as you go down this path, the best way to manage risk is to be fully transparent. And what I have seen is, and, and I'll use myself as an example, uh, I, let's say I bring on a new client and they kind of trust me. They've seen me around and, you know, ultimately uh, they may know who I am, but the first year they're just not really willing to tell me everything. And so we manage risk, but there's a few things they didn't tell me about that we couldn't manage. Well, we came through the first year and the relationship was growing. They told me about them the second year because they were willing to trust me we were willing and able to go after the risk better. And so I say, start with somebody you trust. And if you don't necessarily have that person, 
at least start with someone that's credible. The first guy that calls you or knocks on your door or pulls into the farm probably isn't the guy. Ask around, ask your friends, do some research, but find somebody that's credible and trustworthy in the space. After all, they are going to be helping you manage your money. And so this is an important thing to, to start with. And I'd say after you've gone down that path, your next step is to start asking questions of that person. What do I need to know? What do I need to study? Where can I go to get good information? We've created an entire library of information for our clients. We have a whole market intelligence team because this is such an important feature. You have to educate yourself because we can be a great advisor, but if you're not comfortable and don't at least partly understand where we're leading you, you're going to grow anxious. And what can happen is that anxiety can completely undo a great strategy in those moments where the markets can be the most uh, absolutely anxiety uh, oriented. It, it can blow up an entire strategy. So educate yourself. And then I would say, as you go through the process, give it time. One of the biggest challenges that I think most people have is they expect that they're going to start hedging and suddenly the checks are just going to start showing up in the mailbox. It, it, that's not hedging. Remember, we're transferring risk. And there are strategies whereby we might put capital forward where we hope the end result is that we lose every penny that we put forward so that maybe the milk check can be exponentially larger. It's a trade-off. And so I think, you know, around all of that, having proper expectations by way of good information and at least some degree of understanding and good guidance uh, from, your, from your advisor uh, whom you trust, all of that comes together. But that's the pathway. Last question for you, Mike. What are your thoughts on the future of hedging, whether that's maybe some challenges you see in hedging and then some opportunities? Well, my first thought is that it's an absolutely necessary part of the farm. I mentioned this early. This isn't something you should play with. This isn't something you should lightly consider. This should be something that's fully implemented into your operation just as much as any other practice that you believe in. Because as we've all come to appreciate, especially in the last few years, between COVID and a war in Ukraine and a trade war with China and, you know, the, the changes that can happen in a farm bill or some of these different things that are happening, you know, on or around the farm. All of this changes our markets and often without permission and generally when we least expect it. And so when we talk about risk, it almost seems to come out of nowhere. And if we truly, again, want to be in this game long term, we've got to figure out how to manage those risks so as to not have them crush us and then deplete the equity that we've spent our lifetime building. It's so vital that we entertain risk as a real threat to our operation rather than just, you know, worry about what the cost of inputs are going to be or what the cost of interest is or, you know, all of these other things that we spend our time worrying about, manage the risk because that's a bigger threat. We just can't often put a face to it or a name to it. It just shows up. And so to me, the future of hedging is very solid. Uh, it's not going anywhere. 
It's getting more sophisticated and it's time to get started. If you haven't already, it's time to engage. And that's where you go find somebody that you can trust. It's so very, very vital to any farming operation. We can tell that you are very passionate about this topic, Mike, and we appreciate (laughs) your experiences and your ability to take a complicated topic and make it more digestible for us. And thank you to Compier Financial for sponsoring this episode and DBA and Edge for bringing impactful topics like this and information to our listeners. Well, we also appreciate your precious time and hope to see you back again. I'm your host, Joanna Guza for Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, email us at podcast at dairyforward.com.